This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Pistown, Washington, D.C. This is the show we do for you, our subscribers on Patreon. Thank you for your support. We couldn't do it without you. The Sams are three quarters of the way vaccinated right now. I got my second shot on Sunday. I guess in a week I'll be fully vaccinated. Sam, you've gotten your first. You're a few weeks away from your second, right? Yep, two weeks, two weeks in a day, to be precise. Well, I hope you handle it a little better than I did. I, I thought that I was in the clear for a full day after I got my shot. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm not getting sick from this. I'm good. I got the super immune system. Well, I didn't think I got the super immune system. I thought, oh, they gave me one of the fake shots that you've heard people have gotten the the somebody screws up somewhere and you get end up getting a fucking fake shot instead of a real vaccine. The um, placebo version of a vaccine, whatever that is. Yeah. So I was like, but then about about full 24 hours after it it hit me pretty hard. And mm. it really hit my my sinuses really hard for some reason, which was weird because I hadn't heard that. Um but yeah, I, I I was I was feeling pretty shitty for like 2 days, but I'm back. I'm strong, feeling good, and uh, ready to get you vaccinated. We can start recording again in person on Fridays. Shit, that's right. Got space here, new little studio. I've I've moved since we last recorded together, and I think we've got a got potential to to turn it into a to a two person recording studio instead of one person. A lot further away. I can't <laughs> I can't walk there anymore. Yeah. You could become one of those people that are walking on the highway <laughs> in the tunnel underneath the uh, the mall. That would suck. But I mean, if I, uh, you know, assuming we both have immunity, I can get on the metro, which is something I haven't yeah. done in over a year. I feel like I'm going to start breaking down into tears when I'm on the metro again. <laughs> Are, are you gonna, oh my god, you, it's so beautiful. It's a train. It's so beautiful. Are you gonna wear your mask on the metro post pandemic? Yes, I think so. I think I am too. I I like it. I think I it's like I can't unsee all those graphics that were being circulated at the start of the pandemic about like how diseases uh spread in in, in enclosed areas and Maybe I will do some more research to see when like the height of flu and cold seasons are and, and do it then. I might just do it every time I'm on the Metro, quite frankly, because like, like I said, you know, those, those graphic images of like someone sneezing and all the red dots going everywhere in an yeah. enclosed area. I, I don't think I'll ever forget it. I'm just wondering if some conservative dipshit is going to like scream at me. For oh, wearing yeah. a mask. On the- oh, it's it's definitely going to happen. That's the only that's the only thing I'm concerned about. When it, I mean, I'm definitely going to wear a mask on the metro, and I mean, I'm as much as anybody looking forward to being able to like go out places and not wearing a mask, like going to a, a restaurant or you know going out to eat somewhere, going to a bar or something like that, being able to go yeah. to a fucking baseball game and stuff. I can't wait for that, but I'm also definitely going to keep my mask on when I'm riding the goddamn Metro 
place is disgusting. Let's face it. And if it means that I'm not going to catch the flu or get a sick or get a cold like a couple times a year because I'm wearing a mask, then that's definitely worth it. But I, you will definitely get accosted by some someone who's triggered by you wearing a mask. I feel like I, I feel like I haven't had a runny nose in like 15 months, and it's it's weird. You know, it's like I'm used to just as a matter of of you know, the course of life or whatever, just, oh, you just, you get a runny nose, you get a sore throat. It just happens every now and again. I guess it doesn't have to though. <laughs> yeah. You can be uh, somewhat careful about that sort of stuff. I relayed the story on the show before when I was uh, confronted by an angry, I mean, may, maybe he was a veteran. Um, for oh, not at the Nats take, game? Yeah. At the Nats game for not taking my hat off during uh, the, uh, the national anthem, even though I did stop, like I was walking through the concourse and it came on and I, I did fucking stop for a second as it came on, but I didn't take my hat off or do anything like that. And the guy got pissed at me cause I had my hat on. It's going to be like that, but 10 times is worse with mask wearing due to how diseased this fucking country is right now and how just wearing a mask has become such a cultural issue. I think I want to get one of those come and take it masks. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a good one. That is a good one. All right. Uh, so we've got Owen Higgins coming on. Uh, he's a journalist. Everybody knows who Owen is. He comes on the show all the time. We're going to be talking about Joe Biden's first 100 days. Garbage can later. Uh, some FOIA stuff in just a little bit. First, some news. What's going on here? This week, there was talk in Washington about President Biden's plans to withdraw the U.S. military from Afghanistan on September 11th. Arguably, the worst committee in Congress, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, held a hearing that featured plenty of hand-wringing. New Hampshire Democrat Gene Shaheen, an opponent of marijuana legalization, by the way, fretted about the U.S. abandoning the women of Afghanistan. Afghanistan as if there aren't years and years of reports about U.S. allies in Kabul refusing to protect women. In 2018, for example, Time magazine reported, quote, despite Afghan government and international donor efforts since 2001 to educate girls, an, estimate, an estimated two-thirds of Afghan girls do not attend school, 87% of Afghan women are illiterate, while 70 to 80% face forced marriage, many before the age of 16, end of quote. But somehow women's rights in Afghanistan only comes up from people like Shaheen when it's time to criticize the ratcheting down of the U.S. war machine. Funny how that works. Speaking of which, there are questions about how much that war machine will actually be ratcheted down after this 9-11. It's unclear what the contractor footprint will look like when U.S. troops are gone, as the Special Inspector General of Afghanistan Reconstruction, SIGAR, noted today, as of this month, there are 16,832 Department of Defense contractors, quote, supporting agency operations in Afghanistan. This includes 6,147 U.S. citizens and 6,399 third country nationals and also 4,286 Afghan nationals. It is unclear who, if anyone, will replace them or perform their work after their withdrawal, end of quote. Meanwhile, Afghans are facing a dire situation with or without the presence of the U.S. military because of climate issues, 
per SIGAR. Again, quote, as many as 17 million Afghans or approximately 42% of the estimated population will likely face famine conditions during the upcoming year as a result of drought, according to the International Organization on Migration. Well, whether Joe Biden is actually ending the war or not, you got to hand it to him. He's forever memorializing the day that Hillary Clinton fainted (laughs) by associating it with the uh, end of combat operations in Afghanistan. Also, Ted Cruz uh, getting caught jerking off. That's right. The joke never gets hold here at District Sentinel Radio. The Kentucky Derby is on Saturday, and it could feature a labor strike. Reporter Travis Waldron at Huffington Post has the story of a group of unionized valets at Churchill Downs who are threatening to strike ahead of the big race unless bosses agreed to a new contract. Valets help prepare the horse and jockeys before the race. They get the saddle tight. They make sure everything's set. They're represented by the SEIU, which authorized the strike on Wednesday if necessary. The valets want an increase in wages and contributions to their pensions. They've been working without a contract since last year. I haven't even looked at the lines, Sam. I was going to suggest looking up the lines and we'd pick a horse, but now I'm wondering if even engaging in this is crossing a picket line. Potentially. You know, the uh, the only way to be safe is to uh, keep your betting to other sports on Saturday unless they resolve this dispute, in which case pick a pony. That's right. That's right. Good Good thing there's, uh, as always, some nice Premier League action on Saturday. That's right. And Saturday evening, I'm sure there's basketball, hockey, baseball. Uh, take your pick. You don't have to you don't have to bet on the horses if uh, if it involves crossing a picket line. This week, efforts to legislate the strongest worker protections that would be given by the U.S. government in 86 years got a major boost. The AFL-CIO announced it would be spending more than $1 million on TV ads in Arizona, West Virginia, and Virginia to promote the Protecting the Right to Organize, or PRO Act. The markets were chosen to target the three Democrats who have yet to co-sponsor the bill, Arizona's Mark Kelly and Kirsten Cinema, and Virginia's Mark Warner. Also, the West Virginia ad buys to make sure that Joe Manchin doesn't fuck around after saying he would co-sponsor the bill. According to the Huffington Post, the AFL-CIO ads will also run in Alaska, where there is high union density relative to the rest of the country, and a moderate Republican senator in Lisa Murkowski. Five Republicans voted for the PRO Act when it passed the House in a 225 to 206 vote, and one of them was Don Young, Alaska's only congressman. The theme of the Union Federation's ad is, quote, getting a return on your hard work shouldn't be this hard. Undoubtedly, the ads will complement the phone banking efforts led by an AFL-CIO member, the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, and DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America. The outreach campaign by DSA and IUPAT reportedly helped onboard Angus King, the independent Maine senator who dragged his feet before co-sponsoring the PRO Act after his office got a whole bunch of calls. Saw this story from KERA North Texas yesterday, and I'm still mad about it today. The American Rescue Plan passed earlier this year, created a federal rent relief fund. Other rescue packages beforehand uh, actually created it. This put more money into it. The money was distributed to states to then be sent to renters in distress. But how it actually works out in a lot of cases is pretty maddening. In this case, Mona Ogas, sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, Mona, 
applied for rent relief, but never got a response. Weeks passed, and she was eventually evicted by her landlord. Now, behind the scenes, the Texas Rent Relief Program was not working because it was being plagued by poor software created by a contractor the state hired to run it that led to a major delay in processing of applications. By the time that Mona had her application approved, she had already been removed from her apartment by her landlord. And instead of getting the $6,000 in aid, the money went to the landlord who evicted her instead. She also should have been protected by the eviction moratorium, but as the KERA North Texas report notes, the judge just didn't give a shit and evicted her anyways. Just stunning failures uh, all around here that speaks to how fragile um, a lot of the social safety nets that were built in the COVID relief era are at a, at a state level. And finally this week, NYU grads went on strike. After 10 months of negotiating with the administration, the students walked out on Monday with 96% of their bargaining unit voting to take strike action. The union, a UAW affiliate, is demanding better pay to keep up with the high cost of living in New York City. Currently, NYU grad students only make $1,600 a month for their teaching assistant work, barely enough to even afford to take regular shits in Manhattan. Faced with strong solidarity among their workers, NYU administration took drastic action. They told on mommy and daddy. Vice's Ed Ungueso Jr. reported that NYU's president, Andrew Hamilton, sent a letter to grad students' parents saying, quote, well, we think a mediator might have made a difference. A mediator helped settle our prior contract with our graduate employees and helped settle recent agreements at Harvard and Columbia. However, the union steadfastly rejects the presence of a mediator. Now, I'm no labor historian, but this might be the most pathetic attempt at strike-breaking in the past 400 years. Oh, yeah, it is. All right. Uh, so we're still recording over here. We've got Owen Higgins joining us now. Um, hey, Owen. Hey, guys. How's it going? Going well. Going well. Uh, Owen's you know, reputation precedes him. I'm sure everybody knows who he is, who are listeners, but those who don't, uh, he's an independent investigative journalist. He's been published pretty much everywhere. Um all the good places, not not any of the bad places. None of the bad places. And uh, he joins us occasionally on the show. He's probably behind Chip, the the guy who's appeared on the show the most. And Chip's only beats him because Chip has a, a weekly segment on the show. Yeah, I think we don't... I think Chip has Chip has gotten past me, but um, I uh, I, th- I think I told you guys this. Like it popped up in my Facebook memories in December, my first time on the show, back in 2016. When we talked about Al this is was, this was probably a different incarnation of the show, right? Yes, this was yeah, when we yeah, were at the Russians. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was uh, when we were uh, doing uh, disinformatia. What you what did you talk <laughs> about? It was about uh, Al Giordano. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, you know the the ironic the ironic thing about that show is I feel like we were holding back in terms of like how much we wanted to shit on the United States because we were like. You know, it's a little too obvious to 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 just go full like death to America when we're on yeah. Sputnik Radio. But since we've left Sputnik Radio, oh, we've cranked the the DTA up to eleven. So oh yeah, we go way harder. <laughs> I think I think that there's like a little bit of I mean, 
I, like, I don't want to speak for you guys, but it, it strikes me that there might be like a little bit of like, I don't know. I, I used to like, like, this is a long time ago, but I, um, when I first started like freelancing, I got approached by this website and they wanted to like republish some things that I had blogged and, um, you know, like they were just like paying me like basically nothing. And like, I was like, okay, you know, I'm already publishing it for free anyway. So, um, and I did like two or three of them. And then like, I, and then it just slowly dawned on me that this was like either uh, an Iranian government cutout <laughs> or like directly sponsored by them or like, or like one of their allies or something. And, uh, and I was just like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable. Like not, not that I don't think that, um, you know, any, any country should have like their own propaganda arm in the U.S. Like, you know, obviously the U.S. has its propaganda arms all over the world, but um, I just felt a little uncomfortable. Well, that's because uh, you're weak, Owen. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that is true. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so we you're joining us. Well, little... I wasn't saying, hold on, hold on. I, I wasn't saying that what I was doing, like, I'm not, I'm not saying that in a way to like disparage you guys. I'm saying that uh, it was it was just a unique situation. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, you you especially when it's not like clear and upfront about what's going on. That's yeah. That's like you guys knew yeah. what it was. Like it's called right? Sputnik. Right. <laughs> just like R- Russia today, RT. It was Russia today. Um, right. So this was like this was like American Eagle something like that. <laughs> we we also had control over our own show and. Uh, and quite frankly, we walked out when they started fucking with us. So, yeah, yes. Fuck Sputnik. Uh... And we're doing great now. We're, everybody's doing fantastic now, including <laughs> including Sputnik. I think I think Sputnik's doing fine. They're on a bunch of different channels and stuff, and I think they're still broadcasting, right? I I don't know, and I don't really care. Quite <laughs> frankly, I um, yeah, they can they can. <laughs> they, they can suck the devil's dick for all I care. <laughs> um, so, Owen, we're going to talk about uh, Joe Biden here in a second, but you're joining us in the middle of our uh, stuff that we record before we plan to bring you on. So you can just listen to uh, Sam Knight give his FOIA update of the week. What are we what are we working with? Well, uh, you ruined my uh, <laughs> you ruined my segue. I think it still uh, works, but uh, <laughs> well, we could restart. No, no, we're just <laughs> just just talk about your phone call, Sam. <laughs> so I got a phone call from the Secret Service yesterday. See, it still works. <laughs> <laughs> when they said who they were, I uh, I almost immediately replied, "Which tweet is this about?" <laughs> and it turns out they were calling about a FOIA request. And they just wanted my email address. The request was one I initially made to the Department of Homeland Security about its operations last summer in Portland, Oregon, not Portland, Maine, where Owen is. DHS said that they located records that fell under the Secret Service's purview, two out of three parts of the request, about rules for the use of force for DHS and Federal Protective Service, or FPS, operations in Portland, and records about vehicle rentals for DHS and FPS detention operations. You might recall the videos of ununiformed agents throwing people into unmarked cars, hence the part of the request about vehicle rentals. 
Anyway, the Secret Service said, quote, after careful, anyway, the Secret Service said, quote, after careful review, it has been determined that the referred information is not responsive to the request for rules of the use of force. Also, quote, there were no vehicle rental documents located. So uh, DHS sent me to the Secret Service for nothing, it sounds like. Uh, very cool shit from an agency that should definitely exist. <laughs> Interestingly, I don't have to file an appeal to try to get some clarity. Interestingly, I don't have to file an appeal to try to get some clarity on this. The Secret Service told me that I can, quote, seek dispute resolution services from the Office of Government Information Services, which mediates disputes between FOIA requesters and federal agencies. And that also this doesn't mean I waive my right to, to appeal or to sue. Uh, so that's probably what I'm going to do next is uh, talk to Ogis. Also Ogis. a Ogis. Ogis. Also agency a, I didn't know existed. No, <laughs> nor, nor I. Also a, loose, also a loose end to tie up. I found a response from the Federal Reserve that I had missed uh, a long time ago. It was, <laughs> they sent it to me in November. Nothing really... Um, important at all it was about communications from lawmakers about the watering down of the volcker rule which is designed to stop banks from gambling with insured deposits but i wanted to bring it up because this made me chuckle from a fed staffer to a senate banking committee staffer about lawmakers questions for the record or qfr quote hi charles we wanted to loop back with you on the qfrs submitted by senator tillis in particular number one b it does not appear to be a question, but rather a statement. Is that your read? So Tom Tillis, a this is more of a comment than a question guy. <laughs> Even in the QFRs, he's just posting comments. <laughs> just leading with a whole, you know, a couple of declarations before he gets to the point. I just want to make sure our job creators are X, Y, Z. All right, Owen, so are we at the first 100 days yet? I've pretty much ignored all the first 100 days analysis because I find a lot of it just kind of, uh, well, the vast majority of it pretty annoying. Um, but, um, but we're close uh, to it, right? It's something like today. Or yeah, I saw, um, I think I think it was Emily Tampkin from New Statesman on Twitter was saying that like the that the hundred days was supposed to be today, but then they were saying that it was like Wednesday. And like it, it was, it was like knowingly like really pedantic, like, <laughs> po like she was saying like, you know, like this is meaningless, but like, which one is it? Does like um, January 20th count as day one? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, halfway. Or, um, Why do we even care about a hundred days? We don't, we don't believe yeah. in the metric system. That's true. You know? <laughs> which <laughs> I still think they uh, yeah. count days. But um, so just a hundred. Why not like why not like, uh, I don't know, uh, 93 days. That's three months. Right. Anyway. Well, February's 28 days. Oh, yeah. yeah. We got 31, 28, 31, 30. 31. 29. So we're 11, close. It might be tomorrow or 70. Yeah. So today is the hundredth day. How about that? OK, yeah. so this is timely. For a complete arbitrary reason, but still, um, I think that obviously there's a lot of bullshit when it comes to talking about Biden's 100 days. There's a lot of like liberal cheerleading 
that goes on to it. But I think there is some interesting things to talk about, especially you can't ignore the fact that Biden has proposed like trillions of dollars in new programs that expand a social safety net, that redistribute wealth, and that will benefit lots of working class people all around the country. At the same time, he's kept in place a lot of the horrors of Trump's immigration policy. Uh, there's, uh, there's not really much difference in foreign policy so far. Um, but the reasons for this massive surge in economic stimulus and spending, and, and obviously, as all of us are anti-capitalists here, we'll never be satisfied. So there is plenty of criticism to be had. But if we're going to at least engage in the discourse around what the president of the United States is doing, we should recognize that there is a clear break in what Biden is doing compared to presidents that go back decades. So I guess, Owen, uh, how much would you agree that there is some sort of substantive change from an economic policy standpoint? And we can we can dig in more to where there are no changes and why that might be um, and why that might be. Yeah, I mean, I think that he has. Uh, I think that there are a lot of really important critiques to be made of Biden um, and his first hundred days and what his administration is going to be like. Um, I, I think that it's a little short-sighted to like then just kind of ignore the other shit that's going on. Um, and you know, asking for four trillion in spending, um, you know, huge investments in infrastructure and uh, family, uh, uh, you know, all, all of the the I can't remember what 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 the name of it is, but the other half, the, there's the infrastructure half and the the families half, American I guess. Families plan. Yeah, like, look, I definitely think that that should be nitpicked to death. Um, it should definitely be. Uh, analyzed and, and, and whatever about it is, is not, uh, uh, you know, acceptable should be, should be highlighted. Um, you know, I'm sure that there's going to be some, some bullshit tax break shit. Right. And, it's pretty weak and, on healthcare. It moves to expand the affordable care acts, uh, subsidies rather than expand Medicare or even implement some sort of strong public option that Joe Biden ran a fucking campaign on. Right, right, right. I guess, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's totally um, reasonable to say all of those things um, and, and, and should be done. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, it is a huge ask. Um, and just as far as the quote unquote, like discourse in the US, it's important to look at it that I mean, you know, because you Trump wasn't doing this. I mean, really, uh, Obama was certainly wasn't doing this. No. Um, w. Bush wasn't doing this for anything not related to killing Muslims. Um, Clinton wasn't doing this. No. And he was you know, doing the opposite. Up. Yeah, I mean, and then you know, just go down the line, like until basically, I would say maybe until like Johnson. Yeah. Maybe hesitant to say Nixon. I mean, there's, there, there's some elements to like big government in, in Nixon, but not, 
not really. So exactly yeah, we're talking same. fifty years here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're talking like fifty years, and I think that it's 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 important to acknowledge that and to acknowledge the the change. I know that there is a lot of pushback on it, which is that like you know he wouldn't be asking for this if he thought that it was there was a chance to pass it. Which um, hey. You know, I mean, I think that's a reasonable interpretation, considering what we know about Biden and and the Democrats over the last over over my lifetime, anyway, um, and and beyond, as we just said. But I don't know if like it should be completely discounted. I mean, Biden's just such a weather vane, you know. Like he just he's just such a he he doesn't have a lot of core belief like he's gonna go in like different directions like like depending on like where the rest of the country is he, he he's not he if the situation were the opposite like you know like no pandemic and like not looking at the country collapsing not like infrastructure wise and a lot of like he would be saying the opposite so you know obviously don't um interpret it if, as, if we had an economic a, situation that resembled the, the the mid-1990s, he would sound a lot more like Bill Clinton than he's sounding right now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like like the um the idea that that uh like, like Biden I, I I think that like there's some really silly uh takes out there as well, like people saying that like um uh, you know, people that will remain nameless saying that, you know, like we're junior partners in the coalition and this is really great that we're pushing them so far to the left. And like, that's just um, silly. Uh, it, this isn't happening because he's being pushed to the left. Uh, this is happening because like, this is not happening because progressives are pushing him to the left. This is be happening because reality is lending itself to this being the political move to make. And you have to understand Biden in in that respect and, and, and stop thinking of him as, as acting because of any kind of, uh, yeah, you know, personal investment in, uh, in, in, in making progressive change. He's, he's a, he's a creature of, of, of knowing which way the political winds are blowing. And so that's what he's doing. So, I mean that, that, but that leaves a little bit of, you know, I, I agree with you that we are not, junior partners uh, in a coalition by any means, but I think that there are equally um, vacuous takes by uh, also people who will remain nameless that, um, you know, that, that the populist left has been fully defeated and that there is like, there is no moving Democrats to the left um, and call it what you want it. But at the end of the day, you know, as you said, he's a weather vane. It's hard to see any of this happening without the Sanders campaign, without, um, you know, the movement for black lives, without DSA having like hundred, uh, almost 100,000 members. I don't know what the official number is at this point. And it does sort of seem like that concessions are being extracted from the neoliberal wing of the Democratic Party, which is to say most of the Democratic Party. To, to Owen's point in the sense that, like, who is extracting those concessions? Because it might not, like, is it really these 
sort of organized forces that have sprung up because if that have that have sprung up because if it was then maybe we'd see more action from the Biden administration on these other issues like the border um, where the large economic response the large economic stimulus response is in direct response to the failing of the economic system and you're seeing them take actions to preserve a system that their entire well, livelihood I mean, if, thing if, depends if I on. Can ju- if I can yeah. just, we had a huge failure of the economic system in 2008. Yeah. And that led to um, the most shameless bailouts uh, imaginable, maybe, although the 2020 uh, uh, CARES Act bailout is up there in terms of shamelessness. And it led to hand-wringing from President Obama and Rahm Emanuel about like, oh, we can't, we can't spend a trillion dollars. <laughs> so, I mean, something is different. I mean, we do have two comparable systemic failures within a matter of 12 years. And yet the response from the Democratic Party is, is slightly different. That is true. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, well, whether or not the CARES Act was a greater bailout than uh, the 08 bailouts is uh, an interesting question that we probably are, that's that's something that, like, I think with, like, distance, once we start looking at it with distance, we'll know a little bit more on that. Um, I know that some people, like, I think David Dayen thinks it's worse. Um, hmm. and, and, and and some other than people. Than the 08? than the 08 or the 09 bill i think so yeah i don't know how but anything it, could be worse i might than be misrepresenting i don't know maybe, so, maybe, maybe, yeah well, well let's not just, get too hung up on that because that happened with but, but a I republican do, I, president and, yeah, and, and mitch mcconnell as the senate majority leader right the, this bill the one last year happened that way the 09 yeah. bill happened under democrats yes and, yes um and, and i think that speaks to a lot of it too is that this sea change that's happening here that biden uh that people are giving Biden credit for with the American Rescue Plan, the $1.9 trillion COVID stimulus, which a lot of his other plans, like the American Families Plan that was recently introduced, sort of builds on that, like the child tax credit is extended and sort of this notion that we can broaden wealth, social welfare programs instead of restricting them. I mean, this was started in response to a crisis by a Republican president with a, a Senate uh, under Republican leadership. So the change from Republican power to Democratic power when it comes to the economic response that we're seeing isn't that much of a sea change. Like it was already established by the pandemic and Trump and McConnell and Pelosi and Mnuchin what the baseline here of of stimulus and what the government can do to help people. And Biden mm. sort of just continued it. He didn't I wouldn't say that he broadened it in such a significant way that, that, I mean, no, well, I mean, I guess you could say that what he's asking for now is broadening it Yes, because he's taking the political momentum from that, from like a year of, of bailouts and, and, uh, uh, and in, in, in this case, I'm talking about bailout, I'm talking about for, for like stimulus in general. Right. So, he, he's taking all of that and then um, kind of moving moving it forward to to now doing infrastructure and you know asking for like one point or two trillion or whatever in 
in in family spending and tax subsidies and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that just to just I mean, just as far as like his agenda for the first hundred days, like that stuff is not bad. We can talk about how or I mean, you can criticize it by by saying like, look, you know, it should be more, uh, you know, definitely should be more. Um, also, the rich should get soaked. And like all like all, I agree with all of those things. I agree with all of those uh, critiques. Um, and I know that you guys do, too, of course. Um, but, you know, also need to just kind of acknowledge that it is a sea change from what we've seen over the last 50 years. Like we were just, but saying. I guess it gets, to, it gets to like Sam's point about like what, what is driving it and, and how much of it is it just like a save your ass sort of situation. And it could be both, right? I mean, it, it could be, it's, de- and it probably is both in the sense that like detaining, decaying economic conditions have, uh, accelerated organizing on the left uh, against capitalism and that has in turn both of those things then in turn are putting pressure on lawmakers to um to 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 make changes to adopt band-aids and stuff on things but i guess yeah, i mean what- I, th- I i i think that the democrats don't want to see another um bernie sanders campaign again and they think that one way of doing that uh, is by actually trying to give people some relief and by improve marginally improving the situation of the working class uh, no more than they need to to try to foreclose on that possibility. Yeah, after and, all, it's it's worked in the past. <laughs> yes. Look, I, I think that um, that like that's all possible, right? Um, but but I think that there's a there's there's like a separate possibility that I that, that I also find kind of convincing, which is that so Biden is was born in what 42, right? So he came of age, he grew up like in a political era and he became he, he got into politics during a political era where the New Deal like basically ensured that the Democrats controlled uh, the House for decades, you know, and and, and, and there were like certain um, principles as far as American politics that were just kind of like naturally agreed upon by Democrats and Republicans, or if not agreed upon, that, that, uh, that were just considered kind of sacrosanct. Like you couldn't mess with like certain programs. You still can't mess with Social Security, right? Like there's like, like stuff like that. So now he gets into office after a pandemic, after four years of Trump, um, major, major shift moment. And, uh, you know, this, this old man, because he's an old man, uh, (laughs) sees an opportunity, uh, you know, with where the political landscape is, and with where the economic landscape is, sees that there is now an opportunity for him to reshape American politics to the extent that he can put he can push through like major 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 domestic legislation that will be extremely like uh, as far as social services and public services they'll be incredibly popular uh, within the country and then could lead to like another few decades of like democratic ascendance and I think like whether or not like that's going to happen I'm not saying that that's going to happen or not but I'm saying that like that 
motivation cannot be stripped away from what he's uh, doing because he is seeing that and he's a creature of i mean look and none you know, of that guy, none of that would be incompatible also with him continuing a, a pretty wretched foreign policy and uh exactly. a horrific uh policy at the at the southern border yeah and i think uh to to that point especially the um obviously the the um the detention of immigrants uh is is sickening and atrocious and uh, i think that in terms of the foreign policy there's even more danger for uh large-scale atrocities when you start to hear biden talk about how we need to compete with china and defeat china and all that shit and it it it, it just you know the logical conclusion of that line of thinking um it could could be catastrophic yeah um do you, does anybody have any final thoughts here before we bring out the garbage can uh just i i i just want to say that um no amount of domestic spending or uh social services or public services is enough to like wipe away the stain of his immigration detention policies and his vaccine policies that like there's it's it's like fucking disgraceful yeah so i just don't i don't want anyone listening to this to 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 think that uh i think that yeah that that no that's a good point and um you know that there, there there used to be a bipartisan consensus on uh allowing people to seek asylum in this country and that was specifically came about uh, during the latter stages of the Cold War in an attempt to embarrass communist countries. And now that, you know, there are fewer and fewer communist countries to embarrass uh, by accepting asylum seekers, there is just like <laughs> all of a sudden asylum seekers are now like, you know, illegal immigrants or whatever. And uh, that has all gone uh, by the wayside because the U.S. is a wretched country. It's like it's like Biden was like, yeah, I want to do like big social programs just like FDR, and I want to turn away refugees just like FDR. I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing is that liberals are drawing, and and even a lot of people on the left are drawing this comparison between Biden and FDR, which one fails so far at least on the economic front we're not even close yet to, at least to what fdr's first 100 days were compared to biden's first 100 days and what were accomplished uh and you could argue that the crisis that fdr faced was bigger but this is a pretty fucking big crisis that biden is facing as well um but also if biden was the next fdr that would be terrible <laughs> like fdr did terrible things from the detention of japanese americans to the fucking war crimes that were committed throughout um, World War Two, and yes, to turning all sides. away fucking victims of the fucking yes, Holocaust. To, yes, yes, to that, to that, fucking to that as well. Went back and got fucking slaughtered. Right. So, Sorry. It not, really pisses me off. Yeah. So the comparison is not a good. One. I mean, the comparison, if good, is bad. Is the point <laughs> right. here? All right. Um, let's bring out the garbage can. Oh, and you can't smell it, but let me just assure you that we've uh, installed, we had the interns install a monkey room near the studio uh, that has a bunch of monkeys that are constantly throwing their shit in the, in the garbage can. And then we brought in a rhinoceros. Um, it was a rhino, right, Sam? Not a hippo. I could go look, but I don't... I think it was a rhino. I'm pretty sure it was sure a rhino. Yeah, I leave that stuff to the... It was a rhino, yeah, I, I, yeah, was a rhino the, room. 
Yeah, the rhino room. That's right. That's right. Um, I should remember this stuff considering it's just a few feet from me at all times. I could just go and look at it. But, out of uh, sight, out of mind, Sam. That's right. That's right. But it is uh, within smell, so it is really within my mind. That's good, interns, right there. That's good. Thank you. Um, all right. We've got to move fast here because we've got about uh, five minutes here left uh, on the Zoom. Um, I let's see we had uh jd vance who fired off some tweets about universal uh child care and how it was elitist and anti-family um that's that's a that's a good one there we've got tucker carlson who's melted down all week about people wearing masks and how we need to have the state take uh, the children away from people who are having their kids still wear masks outside uh, Joe Rogan melted down uh, about vaccines, said 21-year-olds shouldn't get vaccinated, doesn't seem to understand that people can spread the virus, even if they themselves might not be at risk of dying from the virus, even though everyone is at risk of dying from the virus, even children uh, and healthy 21-year-olds. Uh, we've got Hillary Clinton and Condoleezza Rice, who apparently briefed members of the House Foreign Affairs Committee that they're worried about President Biden's plans to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan, even though, as we have talked about, uh, Biden still very much plans to continue hostile actions in Afghanistan, oh. even after troops are, quote unquote, gone. Um, anybody else? Anybody want to add here? Uh, are they happy with this list? Should we settle on throwing someone in, someone else in? Um, what do you that, think? I think this is a pretty good list. I am leaning toward i mean obviously everyone here deserves it but i'm kind of leaning toward jd vance because his uh his his bulletproof uh argument for why universal child care favors the rich is that rich people <laughs> rich people send their kids to child care because they can fucking afford it jd <laughs> yeah i i <laughs> Also, also one more thing on this. He's saying like he's saying something like, uh, like parents belong with their children, and like, you know, there is a grain of truth to that. But like, kids reach a point where they need to socialize with other kids. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Lock up your kids like Joseph Fritzel? You fucking weirdo. Waste <laughs> <laughs> shit. Um, I mean. You know, my, my only, uh, my, uh, of these, of these, of, of, of everybody not, uh, whining because, um, a, uh, a guy who was grooming 12 year olds had his book pulled, uh, which <laughs> I guess is kind of like a late, yeah. late arrival there. Um, Rogan probably pisses me off the most, but a lot of that like comes from everybody like saying how great he was literally like 14 months ago. Yeah. So maybe it's a little unfair for me to like, I mean, just Rogan's just such a fucking idiot. Like, I, I like how a lot of the uh, arguments, Owen, that uh, we got into it with people on Twitter, uh, we've been proven right com completely exonerated yes. during the primary. And, uh, yes. The Sams and Owen have been vindicated on take after take after take. Yet the dollars just don't seem to follow. I wonder why that is. <laughs> maybe maybe if we were just wrong in a way that made people feel good about themselves. Made them feel good about like the the life, the way that they're living it is perfect. And uh 
just do a well, few tweaks, there'll be socialism. Before we start yeah. throwing more people here in the garbage can, let's try and uh, settle for one. I, I, I guess Owen's leaning toward Rogan. Sam Knight's leaning toward J.D. Vance. I was honestly leaning toward Hillary Clinton and Condi Rice just to go old school because it's been a while since we threw Hillary Clinton in the garbage can. Uh, wow. And anytime she pops up, I feel like we have to remind people what's going on here. Um, but I'm open. I'm open to anything. Maybe we should just like compromise and throw Tucker in. But um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, he is kind of like the embody. Well, at least of me and uh, SK. Yeah. Um, shit all right uh sam why don't you i'll defer to you 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 choose sam uh, you know i feel like i feel like jd vance might not run for ohio senate after all i feel like this might be our last chance to throw all him right. in let's do it I, I, I think hillary clinton will pop up Let, again let's let's do JD it jd vance, vance you, you are, are going, going in, in the garbage, garbage can. can jd vance you're going in the can That's it. That's the show. Oh, and where can people find out what you're working on? Oh, uh, just just uh, hit up my Twitter, E-O-I-N-H-I-G-G-I-N-S underscore. Um, everything's there. Owen, thanks a lot. We'll be back thanks, next guys. week. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be. <laughs>